Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. If you're like many people, you may be surprised to learn that one in five adults in this country experienced mental illness last year. Yet... Far too many fail to receive the support they need. Carillon Behavioral Health is doing something about it. They understand that behavioral health is a key part of whole health, delivering compassionate care that treats physical, mental, emotional, and social needs in tandem. Carillon Behavioral Health, raising the quality of life through empathy and action. I started to realize that not being an expert isn't a liability, it's a real gift. If we don't know something about ourselves at this point in our life, it's probably because it's uncomfortable to know. If you can die before you die, then you can really live. There's a wisdom at death's door. I thought I was insane, yeah. And I didn't know what to do because there was no internet. I don't know, man, I'm like, I feel like everything is hard. Hey y'all, my name is Kat. I'm a human first and a licensed therapist second. And right now, I'm inviting you into conversations that I hope encourage you to become more curious and less judgmental about yourself, others, and the world around you. Welcome to You Need Therapy. Hi guys, and welcome to a new episode of You Need Therapy podcast. My name is Kat. I am the host. And quick reminder before we get into the good stuff that although this podcast is hosted by a therapist and it is called you need therapy it does not serve as a replacement or a substitute for any actual mental health services so this week's couch talks prompted me to do a little deeper of a dive on compassion fatigue and i'm glad i did because i actually learned something very interesting that i'm excited to share with you guys And if you don't know what Couch Talks is or you didn't listen to it, it's the episodes that I put out on Wednesday and they are responses to listener emails and listener questions. And this past week, a listener brought a question about her job in the helping profession and wondered if the burnout and the fatigue she was experiencing was something that therapists like me also experienced. And that's this feeling where it just gets harder to be motivated to care for others and to care for them well. And if you are interested in that response, you can go listen to it. But as I I was preparing that episode, I was like, huh, I have some questions about this. And I also think there's a larger conversation to be had in talking about why sometimes at a deeper level that happens. And what I do believe is that compassion, and this is an opinion of mine, this is not research-based, but I believe that 
compassion fatigue is something and was something that was easier to talk about during the pandemic. And I think that's because the extremes make it more digestible or excusable or just understandable. Oh, I get how you would feel that way because of the world that we're living in right now. It just makes more sense and we can like sit with the reality of it easier. But compassion fatigue didn't go away when our world started to open back up. It's very much still a thing that happens to a lot of us and it can happen to a lot of us very often. And I like this. I found that a lot of people refer and have been referring to compassion fatigue as the cost of caring. Now, I say I like this. I don't like like that that is something that is a thing. I just like that as a description. It's this cost of caring, what happens when we care a lot and we almost cross that line of caring too much, which when it comes down to it, our bodies are wired to help us care. They're wired to help us move through crisis. They are wired for those things, especially when I say crisis in the big moments. When crisis happens, we experience large surges of adrenaline. And these surges give us the energy to hit the ground and start running. And that's not just about crisis that happens to us. It's when a friend's loved one dies, when a friend has a baby, when a family, not saying that babies are bad, like there's just a lot of energy and there's ways to help and things to be done when a friend has a baby and has that big change of life. When a friend or family member loses a job or goes through any kind of storm, we also get that surge to help. We get that hit of, I'll be right over. When a friend goes through a breakup, I mean, most of us have been there when a friend, a good friend goes through a breakup. I personally will be the first one to drive to the friend's house. I'll talk to you for hours. I'll let you repeat yourself as many times as you need. I have the surge of adrenaline to carry me through those somewhat exhausting conversations and I'm happy to do it. But the surge of adrenaline eventually wears out. Yet what we do is we still hold ourselves to the expectation of caring for those people at the same level. It's like our adrenaline doesn't tell us, hey, we're slowing down, we're running out. You might need to take a break or do this or think about what you need. Our adrenaline doesn't tell us that. It just kind of starts to deplete and we're still trying to act in that same manner. You make the drive to your friend's house every night for two weeks. You have the same conversation about the breakup with your friend for two months. You leave any event with your friend because they can break down at the drop of the pin. And and please don't hear that. I am shaming that friend who who needs and is asking for those things. Um, the friend that's going through a hard time. Trust me, I've been that person. There is one, no timeline for grief. And also you're a human that's just going through emotions. And that's very much allowed in my book. I'm talking to not that friend. I'm talking to the other friend who continues to show up day after day, who doesn't allow themselves to actually have emotions. You start to notice yourself getting irritable, wanting to push people away. Yet you still trek on. It's like, I'm getting annoyed talking to them or needing to do this or this or that. You maybe start to gossip about them, but you still force yourself to be there at the same level for that friend, even if it's not coming off at the same level. And you don't listen to the cues of, I'm tired, I'm exhausted because, you know, this is what good friends do. And what I'm hearing in that scenario, granted, I'm guilty of it too, is a little codependency. We become so focused on the needs of others that we unintentionally, and I air quotes that unintentionally, forget to check in with our needs. And the reason that I air quote the unintentional, because I really think that we do this dance where we tell ourselves a story about what's more important because we aren't in crisis. So I have to take care of them. But really, we're telling ourselves that story. We're creating that story. 
Now, in a perfect world, when we are talking about the kind of crisis in an individual manner above, there is that rhythm of crisis that's supposed to happen. You take care of things with the adrenaline surge, and then eventually we come back down to normal, and then we carry on with life. However, many of us don't have those one-and-done experiences, and the mixture of the codependent tendencies and over-identifying with others' emotions with the repeated exposure doesn't really create the container for that normal cycle to actually happen. So the pattern that is created, like what's supposed to happen doesn't work with what actually happens. Our crises are lasting longer than our single adrenaline surges and, or we are experiencing one crisis after another, after another, after another. And for those who are in the helping professions, we can actually live in crisis management. It's like every day we are in crisis, some kind of crisis. But compassion fatigue is not reserved for just a professional setting. If we have a sick loved one that we're caring for, maybe that person actually lives in our house. If we have a loved one that struggles with addiction, whether or not they are living with us or not, that creates this system. If we are a parent who has a job and also cares for their kids, they're constantly taking care of other needs before their own. And there's always something to do. All of these experiences, plus tons more, I can't make a list because the list would be this whole episode. They create the constant or they include the constant shoving of our own needs to take care of something that tells us and then we tell ourselves is more important than us. And maybe sometimes that's true, but we've all heard that age old saying, we can't pour from an empty cup. And when we force ourselves to do it anyway, what we are pouring gets a little weird. And that's where this compassion fatigue stuff comes in. And the result is someone who seemingly lives a life they enjoy, but they start asking themselves why they are so unhappy. You know, I like my job. I have great friends. Oh, I just came back from this awesome trip. It was so fun. But I start wondering, why do I feel so awful when all of these things are going well for me? So the symptoms of compassion fatigue can include being irritated or frustrated most of the time, feeling worthless, feeling these large bouts of sadness, wanting to isolate yourself, feeling overwhelmed, feeling anxious, just feeling like you're not yourself. And sometimes today, compassion fatigue is also referred to as secondary vicarious stress disorder, which it's comparable to PTSD, but it's not, it's not actually PTSD because if you have this, you don't have PTSD. Secondary vicarious stress disorder is what happens when you are caring for people who have experienced PTSD or, or are experiencing it and you don't have it, but you take on some of the symptoms as if they're your own. So in the early 1990s, this guy named Dr. Charles Figley, who is at Tulane University, defined compassion fatigue. And this is what he defined it as. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. 
Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern. Only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. So in the early 1990s, this guy named Dr. Charles Figley, who is at Tulane University, defined compassion fatigue, and this is what he defined it as. The deep physical, emotional, and spiritual exhaustion that can result from working day to day in an intense caregiving environment. He said that it is the emotional and physical burden created by caring for others in distress. And he is the one that I have found to have first referred to this as the cost of caring. However, as I was starting to dig deeper into compassion fatigue, this is some of the stuff that I found that was so interesting that I really want to share with you guys. More recently, the idea of what compassion fatigue really is has been starting to shift. Instead of just seeing it as fatiguing compassion, a loss of compassion, depleting compassion, what is called compassion fatigue might actually be empathic distress fatigue. And this all is going to make sense as I explain it. And first, before I get into what empathic distress fatigue is, when it comes down to comparative suffering, I've been taught and I believe that compassion is infinite, right? We are taught that there is an infinite amount of compassion. We don't have this compassion pie and we have to ration it out each day. And that is why my stuff gets to be important, even though if it seems smaller than somebody else's stuff or my trauma still gets to matter to me, even if somebody else's trauma seems bigger or larger or more intense because There's infinite compassion. Everything gets to matter. So if that's true, then this compassion fatigue thing goes against that. It doesn't really make sense. How is it possible to be burnt out of offering compassion if we have an overflowing amount and abundance of it? And maybe because we've been missing some key parts of what compassion fatigue really is. And it's not that we ran out of compassion. We have to fill up a compassion bank. So in an article titled, Moving from Compassion Fatigue to Compassion Resilience, part one, compassion is described to consist of three parts, noticing, feeling, and responding. And the feeling part is connected to empathy. Empathy is the emotion. I think most of us understand what it is, but at a deeper level, empathy is the emotion that allows us to resonate with someone else's feelings 
with the understanding that the other person is the source of the emotion. It is not my emotion. And I think most of us assume when we experience empathy, then we automatically move towards a compassionate response. And this happens a lot, but sometimes it doesn't because of how hard those feelings can be to sit with. When we are exposed to the suffering of someone else, we can experience both empathic concern and empathic distress. And the empathic concern is compassion. That's what we think we automatically move to, but we don't automatically move to that. And whether we experience one or the other, the concern or the distress has a lot to do with our ability to tolerate distress, our ability to tolerate hard stuff without becoming overwhelmed and dysregulated by it. So when we over-identify with someone else's feelings or experience, experiences, and then we become personally distressed, we are focusing too much on our own discomfort and we tend to want to distance ourselves or take away that feeling. And that would not allow us to really offer true compassion. For example, if I am over-identifying with a client's stuff too much and I'm like, I want to make these feelings go away, I might move to a very solution-focused way of being a therapist. I want to fix this. I want to solve a solution. I want to da, 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 da. I don't really validate and offer them compassion and allow them to sit in that and really allow them to move through that at their own pace. Not really how I personally want to long-term operate as a therapist. And remember, when I defined empathy above, it is resonating with the feeling while also maintaining an emotionally separate sense of self. I know that I'm resonating with you, but I know that the source of these emotions are not mine. So I'm not feeling your feelings. I'm resonating with your feelings. So empathic distress happens when we can no longer hold the distinction of self and the other person. In this space, it's natural for somebody to want to withdraw, to want to get away from that pain instead of wanting to lean in and offer support. So in the article, Moving from Compassion Fatigue to Compassion Resilience Part 2, they describe that, and this is going to be a lot of heavier information, so you might have to like listen to it and then rewind it and then listen to it again. So just hang with me. They describe that neuroimaging has shown us that self-orientation with empathic distress activates the brain areas involved in the processing of threat or pain. So with chronic empathic distress, the dopamine levels with the brain circuits that mediate reward and motivation become depleted. And so the ongoing depletion of dopamine from repeated episodes of empathic distress leads to burnout, which makes sense. Now, adopting a other orientation, keeping that those feelings separate, with empathic concern, which is compassion, activates different areas of the brain. So compassion activates the areas of the brain linked to reward and affiliation and generates positive emotions towards suffering, all of which motivate, not hinder, helping behavior. So in this article, they say that compassion may even be viewed as an emotion regulation strategy that buffers or counteracts the negative emotions through the generation of positive emotions. So compassion allows us in a nutshell in that sense, having compassion gives us that buffering where I can sit with these tough emotions in an easier manner because I'm having the positive emotions that I get from the act of offering compassion, because it does, in a sense, feel good to offer support, which is fascinating to me. So all of this to be said, 
maybe it's not compassion that we're lacking when we're experiencing compassion fatigue. And I want people to really hear that because I think in my personal experience, when I'm experiencing compassion fatigue, I can feel kind of bad about myself. I feel shame. I'm like, Oh, like that's my job. Like, and wait, what does that say about me? If I can't offer compassion to people that are going through something tough, like what is wrong with me? But it doesn't sound like it's compassion that we are lacking. It sounds like we are going through distress and we aren't able to regulate our emotions the same way. So again, it's not compassion that we're lacking. You're not a worse human than this other person. It's not compassion that we ran out of. We're lacking the ability to properly regulate our emotions. So when we talk about what we need when we experience compassion fatigue, we often talk about the same thing that allows us to build back up our emotional regulatory bank. We, in a very simple way to explain this, we de-stress right? So we don't go home, take a bath, engage in self-care, hang out with friends and start depositing more compassion into our compassion bank. That's not what happens. We engage in practices that allow us to regulate our nervous system. Those same things I just said, go home, take a bath, engage in self-care, hang out with friends, whatever it is that allows you to de-stress, to settle your nervous system. That's what we're doing. We think that we're getting, oh, I need some space to build up more compassion. No, you're creating space so you can have a better time and an easier time and a better shot at regulating your emotions. The compassion is already there. We just have to be in a space where we can access it in order to use it. And I want to close this out in a tangible way. So I asked the the three therapists that work at Three Chords Therapy, my practice, how they recognize that they are moving into a space of compassion fatigue and what they do to regulate that. And I want to share some of the answers. So one person said, I recognize it by dread or by being short and overly critical because I don't usually experience a lot of judgment. I become overly solution focused and I care less about a lot, which I love this answer because I do that same thing overly. I mentioned it above overly solution focused. I want to find an issue so we can have this pain, this frustration, these feelings that I don't like and I don't want to sit with. I want them to be gone. So she said, I like to journal. I retreat. I voice text cat vents. I have more quiet time. I do hot yoga and I don't commit to social plans. So you do things that allow you to regulate and come back down to that balance. Another therapist said, I think I recognize compassion fatigue when I consistently dread seeing clients and get overwhelmed more easily by small things. And I get very irritable towards the people I love when asked to do something helpful or care or literally asked anything. I usually journal out my frustrations and clear my weekend for self-care time. I also vent to my therapist friends. And then another therapist said, I recognize it coming up when I don't feel excited about going into work. I recognize it when I'm counting down the minutes in every session. And what I do is I take time off. I create more work boundaries. I think about lessening my caseload. In life, I create more alone time or spend time with my partner. And I'm also more intentional about one-on-one time with friends instead of hanging out in big groups. And so I wanted to share those to give you some tangible ideas of what it feels like for certain people and how it doesn't feel like them. But none of them are saying, I decide I hate my job. And that's what's really interesting about, especially those who are in the helping profession, but also think about when we're experiencing compassion fatigue, when we are caring for a loved one. It's not that usually I hate that. Like I think about if my mom has to move in with me and I become her caretaker, I want to be able to do that. I would happily do that. I would rather that than 
other options. And at the same time, that is going to essentially move me in at times to a place where I need to regulate myself. I'm going to get overwhelmed. So it's not that I decide that I hate that I have to help my mom. This is future focused. And with my job now, it's not that I decide that I hate my job or I learned that my job is not for me. It's that I have to have these keys, these clues that say, hey, you're overwhelmed. You've taken on too much. You're pushing past what you have. And so there are some things to pull you back into that space where you can offer what you know that you want and love to offer. And you can do what you want and love to do. Much like this is popping into my head because I'm rewatching all of Ted Lasso, but like think about professional athletes. They can burn out their bodies. They have to rest their bodies. They have to recover. They have to do things that allow them to continue to do what they love. It's not that when their body, they pull a muscle or they do this or they overwork this part or whatever, you know, I'm not a sports physical therapist person, so I don't know the technical words to use, but when they have an injury, it's not that they decide, oh, well, I hate my job and I hate playing this sport. It's, I have got to rest so I can recover, so I can go back and do the thing that I love. And so I want to encourage everybody out there. One, this is something that we all experience at times. We all can experience. It doesn't say anything negative about you. What it does is it says, hey, I'm not recovering the way that my body needs to recover. I'm pushing my my body past its limit. And I really think it's going to be helpful for me. And I think for a lot of people to start thinking about this as, oh, I haven't run out of compassion. I don't have less compassion. I don't have less care than these other people. I just might have a, a smaller window of tolerance or I've pushed myself past my window of tolerance and that person hasn't. So instead of comparing the amount of compassion I might have with somebody else, it's we all have infinite compassion. However, we all have to be able to set ourselves up so we can access that compassion. So that is going to do it for today. If you guys have any questions, feedback, comments, you can send an email to me, Catherine at Unitherapy Podcast. If you have any feedback you want to give to me, you can send that there as well. Please, if you have not done so, rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it. That is so helpful for us. And I really love actually... I try not to read the reviews on um, those platforms because sometimes, I don't know, I have read reviews on other people's podcasts and people can be quite ruthless, but I really do love reading the feedback that you send, whether it's on Instagram or in an email. So I appreciate when you guys reach out and do that. Like I mentioned before, I, I talk to those therapists to give you guys an idea of real life examples of what this looks like and feels like. Well, I have, if you guys did not know that, I have a, a practice in Tennessee called Three Chords Therapy. We can see clients all over the state of Tennessee in person and virtually. Sad, we cannot see clients outside of our state because of licensing laws. But if you're somebody who is looking for therapy or doesn't know where to start, we have three four, if you conclude me, four therapists that actually do love doing what we do. And I'd love to help set you up with that if that's something that you are interested in. So for that, go to threechordstherapy.com. You can read about us individually, our bios, and reach out to Three Chords as a whole or to the individual therapist that you resonate with online. You can follow me at cat.defada and at Therapy Podcast. And until next time, until Couch Talks on Wednesday, I hope you guys have the day you need to have. Bye. Bye. 
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 